Okay. Well, we were in Jeremiah for seven months, and we took three Sundays for talk about heaven, and today we start with our series on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Jude. And it's going to be interesting. It, it, it's, uh, it's not very long. 1st John is five chapters. can't hear you, Bill. You can't hear me? I can't right now. I can't hear you. I can't hear you very well. Is it me? Maybe me. Yeah, I think it's... Okay, sorry. Okay. Never mind. All right. Uh, First John, um, you can read it the whole book in 15 minutes. I I did it yesterday, and I'm a slow reader. So if you... First John, five chapters, and it's it's not very, very long. Okay. We've told you before... That Art and I are no Bible scholars. We 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 enjoy uh, studying the Word, and we believe the Word is what it is. And um, but each lesson we do, we choose some commentaries that we're we're going to follow. And uh, I've got four that I'm going to tell you about. Chuck Swindoll's Insight for Living, First, Second, Third John, and Jude. Um, I'm, I'm going to lean on that one. Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, the same thing. It's a Bible study. And then <clears throat> Warren Wiersbe, his B-series, uh, I'm going to follow. And then I found a series of sermons by Ray Steadman. And uh, so we're going to do that. And most of what I'm going to say today, uh, don't give credit to me, but give credit to Ray Steadman. <laughs> Because that's what that's what we're going to do. So, <clears throat> when we start out with our our study, we ask some questions. Uh, one of the first questions we ask is, "Who wrote it?" Well, we've got John at the top uh, top of the, the the list here, but <clears throat> John does not say that he wrote it anywhere in the book. He also doesn't say who he wrote it to. Unlike Paul, when he was writing, he says, I'm, I'm Paul and I'm writing to the church in Philippi or Colossae or wherever he's writing. John doesn't say who he's writing it to. So we're taking it as to be the universal, it's church, it's for everybody. Uh, now, when John wrote Revelation, he said who it was written to, the seven churches. John... We don't have this in Scripture, but we know from a historical fact that John was pastor of the church at Ephesus. Now, when after Paul Paul uh, established the church there, he brought Timothy in, and Timothy was the leader of the church there. But later on, um, John was was the the um, the pastor there, right off the coast of. Ephesus is a cluster of little small islands, and one of them is Patmos. And we know that John wrote Revelation off the coast of Patmos. John was an old man when he when he wrote this book. When he wrote all his books, uh, what I've been reading this week that the Gospel was probably the last book he wrote, and the Epistles were. The first book he wrote, and then the sandwich in between those was Revelation. That's conjecture. We don't really know, but 
the scholars that study these things kind of know. Uh, John lived from to be between 88 and 90 years old, and uh, so we we see here that most of these were written when between uh, 90 and uh, 95 is what the scholars seem to say. So who wrote it? So when you when you're going through it, and he talks about, we're going to talk a little bit about the beginnings here. Uh, and the inner circle with Jesus was who? Peter, James, and John. Okay. Uh, James was martyred early. We talked about this when we went through Acts. He was the first uh, disciple that was killed early in the, in the, in the, the faith. Uh, it's Acts chapter 12, I think. But uh, <clears throat> then that leaves Peter. And then that leaves John of the inner circle. Well, Peter, <clears throat> Peter's a lot like Bill, you know, open mouth, insert foot, you know. But uh, he, uh, he was always doing something in the beginning. Uh, Paul, on the other hand, uh, was a builder. He built, he, 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 he had missionary uh, leanings. He had laid foundations for works, and then he built upon those foundations. He made the three missionary journeys, visiting some of the churches that he'd been to before. John, on the other hand, uh, Stedman says he was a mender. Um, his written ministry comes after the church has been in existence for several decades, and at the time when apostasy had begun to creep in, there was a need of a voice to call people back to their original foundation. So uh, the scholars and the founding fathers attributed um, first, second, third John to John. Uh, Jude was written by one of the Lord's half-brothers, and we'll get to that when, when we get to that. But, but John um, was a very older man, and he's writing to my little children. He says it many times in Scripture. Uh, <clears throat> during this time of the year, uh, and a lot, family is mentioned. You know, Pat mentioned just a while ago, uh, this is a family. You are a family. You know, we, I, 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 I think and, 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 and lean on you fondly. Uh, you're a family, uh, my own family, uh, and it's a comfort when we when we have family. John, being an old man, uh, he owned the only family he had was the Christians that ministered to him and leaned on him and and helped him as they went through this thing. So, who wrote the book? Uh, John. Uh, when was the book written? 90, 95, you know, B.C. Uh, where was the book written? We don't know. Most people said it was either in Ephesus or on Patmos. Uh, that's where the book was written. What is the theme of the book? Uh, now, when we did, went back and, and, uh, <clears throat> and when we studied John just to, a uh, little bit ago, we came back to 
John 20, 31. I, I can't quote it, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So what is the theme of 1 John? So you've got the book open there, and let's look at a few of it. There's four things that, uh, that is a theme, uh, a theme, and Swindoll and, and Stedman pretty much agree to this thing. In verse 3, we are indeed our fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So he's talking about fellowship with Jesus. And, and we know that's, that's very important. Verse 4, he says, These things we write so that our joy may be complete. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. The th theme of the book overall, or it's mentioned time and time again, is, is love God, for God is love, you know, that we very much know, and, and sin, that sin creeps in. And as uh, we just mentioned, you know, John wanted to correct some things that, Maybe it had fallen off the tracks at that time. Then turn over to chapter 5 in, in your book, um, verse 13. <clears throat> and John says again, chapter 5, verse 13 of 1 John, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And uh, we'll say more of that when we get there. But these are the four overarching themes of the book of, of um, 1 John. So <clears throat> let's begin with verse 1. <clears throat> and uh, we see, see here. <clears throat> 1 John 1. What we have heard from the beginning... <laughs> what we've heard from the beginning. There are three big things about beginning. Uh, Genesis 1-1 says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When we were in John, first chapter, first verse, what did he say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning, John starts off here. Now, when you're talking about Scripture and you're talking about the Christian life, when somebody comes up and tells you, I've got a new thing, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. Our Mormon friends, you know, they've, uh, <clears throat> they say the Bible's okay, but let's look at this new revelation we have called the Book of Mormon. That's not good. And that's where heresy creeps in. So what John is starting off here, he says, in the beginning. In the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
I asked Felter last night, I says, is we a pronoun? She assured me it was. <laughs> We've had a lot of talk about pronouns here. But this little pronoun we is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in the first four verses of, of this little book. So John has started off here. He says, what we have heard, what we have heard, what we have seen, we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Season three of The Chosen is out, and uh, Velta mentioned it in her last thing. And, of course, The Chosen is, is a video presentation of the life of Christ, and they've taken some liberties, but they try to stay close to the Scripture and, and from what I've seen. But the backstory, like we said about David Jeremiah's nativity, kind of fills in the blank. It could have been. It could have been. But the thing that's very uh, portrayed in The Chosen is that there was this relationship with Jesus and these men. I mean, he, they lived together, they slept together, they ate together, they, they did everything together. And, and Jesus was teaching them new things. It was all new to, to them. And he took this bunch of fishermen and people he picked up off the street, so to speak, and molded it into the people that would literally change the world. And we have it today because of their faithfulness. But he starts off here, we've seen it. He saw what Jesus did. We heard him preach. They were listening to every word. Now, the chosen shows what may or may not happen. I, I, it, Matthew, you know, he's walking around with his paper and his pencil, and John walking around with his pa paper and his pencil, and that, that may be the way it was. We don't know. But there were no recording devices, and there were certainly no TV cameras there. So the Holy Spirit had to remind them what was said and what was heard. But we've seen it, John says. We've seen him. We've heard him. And what did he say was done? We have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifest. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. Now again, this was written when John was an old man, as Stedman says, decades after uh, the beginning, decades after Peter preached his sermon when 3,000 were sold, were saved, decades after Peter went to Cornelius' house and, and baptized him and preached the word, when Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch, when Stephen was mar martyred, all these uh, uh, we find in the history book of the New Testament, which was the book of Acts. He said, a whole lot later, a whole lot later. And so uh, he wanted to bring things <clears throat> back to full circle. 
We use a term in church called sanctification. And a lot of people run from that word. And we're, we're, we're saved, but as we are saved, we continue to be sanctified. We put off the old man. <clears throat> Paul talks about that. All things were new once we come to Jesus. All things are new. And this is the theme in, it's not said as much, but this is kind of the theme of First John, First, Second, Third John for that matter, <clears throat> that we want you to remember where we've been and you need to grow up. Now Hebrews talks about, you know, you're not ready uh, for the milk of the word. He says, you're still on pablum. You're, that's a good word, wasn't it? At one time, <clears throat> you're, you're still, you're, you're not ready for the hard things of life. But, but John's saying, he says, you need to, to be aware of your surroundings and you need to live like Christ would have you live. Okay, <clears throat> so in verse 2 he says, we testify and proclaim uh, to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with Christ and with his son Jesus Christ fellowship <laughs> we've talked a lot you know What's fellowship? Two fellows in a ship. Yeah, fellowship. Uh, if you're in a Baptist church, you say fellowship. It says, well, what did you bring to eat? You know. <clears throat> My grandmother used to say that we're Bedley Baptist. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, fellowship. But fellowship is just being with you. You know, just just uh, understanding where you are and praying for one another and meeting our needs, whether they're physical or spiritual or emotional needs, just, just being a family, just being a family. I've often said, you know, I'll pull you up to my kitchen table where we could just open scripture and where we could talk and where we could get where we are. <clears throat> we had a visit this week from two of our dear friends from Greenville, and it was, we didn't do a thing but sit around and talk. And that's, that's kind of my kind, you know. That's, that's what I enjoy doing, and we were very grateful to have Sam and Elisa here. But we saw, we testified, we proclaimed. And, and he winds up these little four verses that we're going to look at today with this last little thing. These things we write so that our joy may be complete joy we've talked about that little word a lot joy doesn't necessarily mean happy uh, we are happy uh, we are we are pleased you know we're going into a new year we say happy new year we we hope the new year is is where it's going to be and yet our joy is a steady bedrock of our faith we're not jumping up and down hilarious sometimes all the time. 
but we have this underlining joy that Jesus loves us, is in control. Now, uh, even after you've been in your faith a long time, you know, sometimes we, we wrestle with this thing of, of, uh, of our faith. Uh, I went through it when, when I was sick. Sam was, had a terrible case of COVID and he was having problems. Velta went through it when she was in the hospital. We know the Lord is evident and with us, but yet the devil says, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? And we have to come back to kind of lean on what we know and we come back to joy that we have joy in the fact that Jesus is who he said he is as we've been talking about heaven that he'll do what he said he'll do we don't have all the answers but yet the Lord is gracious to us gracious to us well in the vein that we're talking about here uh, does Dan Whitley mean anything to you? The name Dan Whitley. Anybody know who Dan Whitley is? If I told you his stage name was Larry the Cable Guy, would you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> Larry, dad, was saved when he was in Vietnam in the military. And Dan came home, uh, his dad came home and uh, felt being called to preach. And he was a bivocational pastor and he was a school teacher and he taught. I'm gonna pay a, play a clip from about an hour in a uh, interview with RFD TV of Larry. And of this hour interview, what we're gonna to listen to is about five minutes. But he talked about his daddy one minute or less. He said, he's my daddy and I love him, but he wasn't a very good father. That's tough to me, you know, tough to me. But Larry's life has turned around. The clip picks up talking about his wife. And uh, Lieber, if you will hit the lights and if Art, if you will hit the, the re recorder. <clears throat> Well, that's very important. Jesus saved her life, gave her hope, and she has changed her life around. Yeah, it's amazing what he can do. And so now, I mean, she writes books, and it's unbelievable. Who would have thought? I would have thought. She might, She doesn't even believe it. While remaining fundamentally grounded by his family and his faith, he now uses his massive platform to promote what's most important to him. Nobody in here that's perfect. And uh, we're a constant, we're a constant, uh, we're a constant work. 
But I'm glad I came back into the fold and, and I'm happier than I've ever been in my entire life. And it has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with fame. Because fame and money and all the glitz never makes you happy. You know, people search and search and search for hope and happiness. And they reject the one thing that can give them hope and happiness. Uh, because, I'll tell you why, because they mix religion with being a Jesus follower. They don't get it. They don't get that being a Jesus follower isn't about rules and regulations. It's not about any of that. They don't get it. And so they get turned off by it because of religious people. And people seem to forget that it was the religious people that killed Christ. You know, the ones that were following Christ were sinners. They were fishermen and they were, I'm sure that they were, I'm sure that at some point in their life they were saying some disgusting jokes to each other. You know what I mean? But here's the difference. Jesus says, go and sin no more. I just don't think people understand the, the sanctification process when you are a follower of Christ. He says you fall down seven times, but you're going to get back up. The difference is you're really trying to avoid that temptation and stop. You're not going to change overnight. It's a process. That's why you have to stay engaged in the Bible. You have to stay engaged with the teachings of Christ. The more you stay engaged, the more that you go through your life, you start realizing things that you're not doing anymore because you're engaged. That's what it's about. It's not about making sure that you say this every sixth day or you do, that's not what it's about. And people get all hung up on that. They think if you're a follower of Jesus, that you're gonna to have to walk around all day singing hymns and dressing in white robes. And that's not what it is. You're who, God made you, you. You're still you. You have the same personality. You have the same likes, the same dislikes. It's you. The difference is your life will change for the better because you're not gonna start doing things that eventually will harm your life. Because you'd make dumb decisions. You know, if you if you have a Christian foundation and a Christian base and you follow Jesus, then you start to understand these things. And then you go, I'm not doing that because that leads to this and that leads to that. You know, that's the cool thing about the Bible. It never changes. There's two paths in life. You either believe Genesis 1 through 11 or you don't. If you believe Genesis 1 through 11, you have a goalpost you know where your goalpost is. If you don't believe Genesis 1 through 11, then you follow the world's goalpost. And the world's goalpost goes here, then it'll go here one time, then it'll go back to here, then it'll come here, then there's no goalpost, then there's a goalpost. And that's the cool thing about being a Christ follower. Nobody's perfect. You're not ever not gonna sin again you're gonna start being sanctified and understanding more about what you're doing wrong and that you shouldn't do it. Now there's people that say they're Jesus followers and they just do anything they want. No, you're not. You're not a Christ follower because you're not actually trying to live a better life, not trying to live out the teachings of Christ. You're not doing it. You're going, man, I'll do it anyway, God will forgive me. That's not what it's about. 
And, you know, then you have these progressive Christians that are like, Jesus loves everybody and he just wants you to be happy. You know, Jesus hung out with prostitutes and gamblers and tax collectors. Yeah, he did. That's why they're in the Bible, to show us an example of anybody can be saved. But you're forgetting something in progressive Christianity. You're forgetting the words, go and sin no more. You're forgetting those words, you know? And it's like nowadays, if you're a follower of Jesus, you follow Jesus and you follow his teachings. You don't just follow what he, what you like, what you don't like, you either believe it or you don't. It's either his theology or it's your neology, you know? Are you gonna have a meology or a weology? This is good for me, I'll take this. A lot of people do that. They take parts of the Bible they like and the parts they don't like. Well, that ain't how it works, I hate to tell you. That's my sermon for today. If you turn in your Bible. <laughs> I don't know if you caught a couple of things in there. He was at Liberty's convocation a year or two ago when he when that clip was done. And it's a kind of a back to the Psalm scripture where we know that train up a child in the way you should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Larry said, I'm glad I'm back in the fold. I'm glad I'm back in the fold. And as the, the girl that's interviewing him said, you know, this is his passion now. He's not much on the comedy circuit anymore. Uh, he was edgy, <laughs> and he's still edgy uh, when you listen to some of the things that he does. But he wants you to know that it's all about Jesus. In the beginning, as John said here, what we've seen, what we've heard, what we held with our hands, this is what it's all about. And as we go through John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and we'll see what John is trying to say to his little children here. He says, you need to love me, love me, and sin no more, as Larry said. Uh, so that's going to be the foundation of what we we do going forward in this uh, in this book, uh, our series of books, and uh, hang with us because there's some rich stuff in these 15 minutes of reading, these five short chapters. Okay, any questions? Any questions? Well, um, I'm going to give you back some time today. <clears throat>